Well, good morning, everybody. I wasn't sure I was going to get here this morning. I'm, I'm usually over at Six Forks, and it starts at 9 o'clock over there. And so I was setting up, and it was about 8.10. I said, it starts at 8.30. So I jumped in my car, and I'm heading up uh, Forum Drive, and I had, dun, 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 dun. I had a flat tire. Oh, boy. Uh, but right to my left was a tire shop. So I just parked the car there. I called Donnie. Donnie, I need to use your truck. So he came up, gave me the truck, dropped him off, and I made it. I called Mark during all this. Mark, I, I, I think I'll make it. He's calm. No problem, Rob. It'll all be taken care of. So I'm glad to be here with you. And Donnie helped me out this morning. And um, he will actually, he's back in town. He's been back in town. He attended worship here last week. And uh, he will be here next week teaching uh, here at Wakefield. And we're going to continue in the series we're calling Roots where we're looking at the book of Acts as we look at the early church and them taking the message of Christ to the world. And it's not long when you read the first verse in Acts. You see, it says, in my former book. So you realize this is, this is a sequel to another book. Uh, that's right, the book of Luke. Uh, Luke wrote these two. Um, he was not an eyewitness or a disciple of the Lord, but he says up the first few verses of Luke, he says, but I've researched this and I've written an orderly account. And that's what we have in Luke and that's what we have in Acts. And Luke, um, you can think of, it takes us through the birth of Christ, through his life, through the crucifixion, the resurrection, the ascension. You think of that, think of Luke as Jesus in the flesh. And then, because we get to see his work and his characteristics of who he is. And then right at the end of uh, that book in Luke, he pulls the disciples together and he says, I want you to take my message that I've been talking about of repentance and forgiveness through me. I want you to take that to the world. And so Acts, what Acts is, it's just a zooming in of that. And we look at 30-year period where the early church, we get to see how that actually goes about. And that's what Acts is all about. Luke is Jesus in the flesh. You think of Acts as Jesus in the spirit. We get to see the power of the Holy Spirit just bringing the message of Christ uh, starting there in Jerusalem and then throughout the world. Before we get started, I want to get Bibles in your hands. So if you do not have a Bible, you're going to need one this morning. Just signal to the usher uh, and they will give you one. It's yours to keep. We really do believe the words in there are true. And we believe that uh, you'll get to read about your Savior and uh, he'll draw you into a relationship and you'll hold on to that book dearly for the rest of your life. We'll be on page 760 in the Bibles we're handing out. It's going to be Acts chapter 6. It's easy when you read the book of Acts since it's kind of historical in nature. Uh, You read it and all you're doing is absorbing information, which is absolutely fine because you need to do that. In order to understand, we've been talking a lot about, you need to understand what it meant to the biblical, the people there at biblical times. What did it, what did it mean to them? So you want to ask, you know, you want to absorb the information. But we've also been saying you've got, we want to understand how it applies to us today. So we've got to ask a lot of questions. My wife had a, a high school friend come and visit us a couple of weeks ago, and we had not seen this high school friend since we got married back in 1988. So that's a long time, and that's a lot of catching up to do. So it was a little awkward there at first. We were standing in the kitchen, 
And um, we've got a lot of pictures on our fridge. And so she was over there saying, uh, the friend was going, you know, hey, who's this? And my kids, that's dad with hair. And who's, <laughs> who's this over here? And what's going on? And then we moved into the living room. And um, we have lots of pictures there. And they kept asking, she kept asking questions. And what she was doing was trying to understand where we were and where we are now and all the time in between. And that's what we've got to do when we sit down and study God's word, all of us, not just pastors, but when we have our quiet times, we are to do that same thing, ask questions against the text. So we're going to do that today as we go through. I've got seven verses that I've got to go through, and you may think, oh, cool, we're going to be out of here in 10 minutes. Um, no, a little bit more than that. Um, but it is, sometimes passages are purely informational. Um, but there is a lot of application that's buried in these seven verses, so I do want to, to go through it with you. Just to catch you up, if you've been away on summer break, I'm going to give you three words that summarize the church, early church at this point, right here at uh, chapter 6. First word, powerful. Incredible power of the early church. The Holy Spirit came, as Jesus said, he would send it, um, and descended upon the apostles and the believers. Incredible power. Um, they just, they were all about, the apostles were all about taking that message to Jerusalem and sharing that. And, and last week I used this illustration. I said, it reminds me of on the back of a shampoo bottle, and people stopped me after they said, shampoo bottle, why do you need shampoo? That's the thing that bothered me about this route. Um, I said, listen, I had hair for a long time. Um, but on the back of a bottle, if you ever read it, it says, apply a generous amount, lather, rinse, and repeat. And what you do is you watch the apostles. They did this repeat. What did they repeat? They took the message of Christ. They proclaimed it. There were miracles. They were persecuted. They were told, do not share that again. They would repeat this over and over again. Incredible power that the Holy Spirit gave them. And Jerusalem was just teeming with people who were hearing that message. They were seeing the love of God and they were seeing the disconnect because all the systems that they had in place weren't connecting them with God. And all of a sudden they hear about Jesus Christ and they're saying, what do I do? And so they were responding to this message of Jesus Christ being the one to connect them with God. And so incredible power, incredible growth. When you look at chapter 1, there were 120 believers. By chapter 2, 3,000. By chapter 4, 5,000. And typically, counts were the count of men. So that's, the, the number could have been 10 to 20,000 people in Jerusalem, on fire, wanting to hear this message. And to kind of put that in context, if you, if you were fortunate enough to be in the RBC Center in June of 2006 when the Hurricanes won the Stanley Cup, that holds 20,000 people. And those people were on fire. And we have incredible growth here in, in Jerusalem. And these people, perhaps 10 to 20,000 people on fire wanting to hear this message. So power growth, last one is unity. Incredible unity in this group. When you read the chapters up to this point, you'll hear, you will see words that say they were all together. They had everything in common. They were one in heart, one in mind. Incredible unity. And that's the setting for where we're at as we read verse 1. Let's look at it. 
In those days when the number of disciples was increasing, the Grecian Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So it talks about the disciples, and it's just important. I want to share a few facts here. Disciple, they are not talking about the apostles here. This is the first time the word's used, and it means follower. Not follower like if you Twitter. It's not like you're going to follow somebody and check them out whenever you want to. These people, the original word meant to adhere to. Think of glue. Adhere to, to connect to intellectually, spiritually, They were connecting themselves with Christ. They were Christ followers like you and like me. And they devoted themselves, you read, to the teachings of Christ, to prayer and to fellowship. These, so the number of Christ followers is growing. But you sense a little difficulty going on, a little family matter that's surfacing here. And that's one of the things we're going to look at today between two groups. And you've got to understand the groups so you understand kind of the weight the, the gravity of the situation. You've got the Grecian Jews and the Hebraic Jews. Uh, some of your Bibles, the translations may be Greek-speaking, Hebrew-speaking, Hellenist versus native Hebrews. What's important to realize is that the Greek believers here, they are like outsiders. They did not grow up in Jerusalem. So the lifestyle, the culture, they didn't grow up there. They grew up in some other part of the Roman Empire because perhaps their families were part of the exiles and they landed somewhere else. But now they are in Jerusalem with the native Hebrews. So they are kind of like outsiders. Think of it that way. So you've got two groups with some similarities in that they are all believers. But between language and culture and lifestyle, there are some differences. And there's this problem that's surfacing. And, And they say the problem is the Grecian widows are, are being overlooked. And that's a big deal because God cares for the poor. And when you look from the beginning of Scripture to the end of Scripture, you will see that the poor, God cares for the poor. Poor are typically widows, orphans, fatherless, and strangers in a land. And so there was provision. God put provision in place for food and clothing and money for the poor to be taken care of. And so at this point in the early church, there were probably two systems that were in place. One was for the resident poor. So the people, the natives, if they were poor, then the officers would go door to door and they would collect money. And then they would give it to the native poor so that they could go buy food. But there was also a system in place for the the strangers who were poor and found themselves there in Jerusalem. Again, officers would go door to door And they would collect food, and they would give it to the poor, the poor who were outsiders. And what we have here is a breakdown in that system. And the Grecian widows would have been one of the most neediest because family was supposed to take care of you. Where was their family? It wasn't in Jerusalem. So they were were being overlooked, and their family's not there. So nobody. this is a big deal. Nobody is taking care of them. So that's the issue that surfaces. And so you've got an outside group kind of saying to the inside group, you're not taking care of us. Talk about a little racial tension. The situation could be very volatile. It is. And some observations to make just on this one verse is at the beginning it says, in those days when the number of disciples was increasing, 
That's saying, while all of that good was going on, there was some breakdowns. There were some things that just were not happening. And that should tell us and remind us that it's churches are not perfect. Christ is perfect. And so if you're looking for a perfect church, I will tell you right off the bat, you didn't find it here. Um, we often say we're a church of imperfect people. That is never to give us an excuse to be imperfect because we are called to be Christ-like and we are called as soon as we see where that is not happening, we are to ask for forgiveness and turn the other way. And that's what we're set about doing. But you've got to remember that the, church, the churches are not perfect. And what we have here is an issue that's surfacing. Now, the, the principles we can glean from this, the context, yes, is within a church. There is conflict within the church going on in this passage. But the principles apply everywhere because you are in relationship with imperfect people inside the church and outside the church. And so we can get uh, the principles we get from here we can use uh, throughout our lives. One of the things that we want you to notice is the Grecian believers, what we can learn from them is they cared about other people. They had their eyes not just on themselves. They saw a need. They looked around and saw others who needed something. And that's a call to us, a challenge to us to slow down our day and look around and look around for others who may need something. They were doing that. And they saw a need. And you may start to see needs. And this is where I like to think of 2 Corinthians 10.5. When we, you know, just not only in your thought life, but when you see an issue or a concern, you stop and make every thought obedient to Christ. And you've got to say this. You've got to say, is what I'm seeing, is it more rooted in my feelings or is it rooted in God's truth? Is this more about my desires or is it about God's truth? And you've really got to set out to answer that question before you move forward. Because if you don't, you may end up hurting yourself and others around you. Ask that question, is this more about my feelings or is it really about God's truth? And you may say, how do I get the answer to that? Well, one of the biggest ways is his word. He communicates with us. One of the biggest ways is through the words you read in the Bible. And so if you call yourself a Christ follower, you better be in his word every day and studying it and be praying. Another way is to talk to another uh, believer who is wise and say, hey, can you help me out here? I think I'm seeing this. Is this, you know, is that selfish? And, and talk to them, but get the answer to that question before you move forward. And the Grecian believers did see a valid need. God cared for the poor, and there was a breakdown in that system. Now let's see what they do. Verse 2, so the 12 gathered all the disciples together, and they said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. And you may read that and go, whoa, <laughs> I cannot believe that they responded that way, waiting on tables. That's like a complete insult. The it got lost in translation because uh, um, if you look at the original words, the waiting on tables really implies uh, to provide for, to provision, to help the poor. So the, the word waiting is dekoneo, dekon. It's the root words deacon. 
You've heard that before. But it's the verb form. So we don't have deacons here. It's not the noun. But we have one of the functions uh, that they are called to do. And that word means to serve. So they're being called to serve. And the apostles are saying, we have two legitimate needs here. One is the ministry of the word of God. And you may say, isn't that what we're all supposed to be doing? Carrying the message of Christ to the world? Yes, we are. But God does call some to be pastors and teachers and elders. And that is what we're talking about here, the ministry of the word of God. But the apostles also say there's this other valid office, this other valid function, and that is the ministry of administration. Think of it this way. It's every kind of work in support of that. And so the apostles are saying these two are very valid. And how they go about... I, like, I always like looking at conflict and how it's handled because there's two sides of it. One is the communication of the conflict, and then the other side is the, the one receiving uh, the person's feedback. And so here we see it was communicated by the Grecian believers. Who'd they take it to? Scripture tells us they took it to the 12, to the apostles. Why? Because they were the leaders in the church. It was just starting out. They were the go-to people. They were the ones that could do something about it. Now, was that their only option? Was that the Grecian believers' only option? No, because it certainly could have played out like this. If the Grecian believers were seeing all, all the needs being unmet, they could have gone to their group and said, can you believe it? Will you look at the apostles? They're all about doing this stuff, but look at our widows. They're not doing How about we rally up? You know, they could have started gossiping and splintering. Think of it like a windshield on a car when a rock hits it. If you address it right then, you can restore that windshield to its original function. But if you don't address it and you start gossiping and splintering, that's what what happens. On that windshield, it just spiders. And all of a sudden, it is rendered useless. It cannot perform its function. That is not what the Grecian believers did. They valued unity. They knew Jesus' words where he said, a kingdom divided against itself will be ruined. It cannot stand. It will fall. And so they really wanted to keep the unity. And so they were about going to somebody that could do something about it, that could be part of the solution. And that's important for you and I. When we see something, we've got to ask ourselves this question. What can I do to move things forward? What can I do to make this situation better? I've only been in ministry about four years. And I remember getting a phone call um, from a friend. And um, I got a message, actually. It said, Rob, this so-and-so, give me a call. I want to talk to you about something. I want clarity. And it was kind of, I was like, oh, no. What's going to happen? So he calls, and he started describing the situation. I realized that, okay, I, I know what the situation is. But all the facts that he started sharing were completely wrong. And I started getting angry inside, kind of the way that I get angry. I don't yell, but I start to get short or I'll cut off the person and I'll just keep talking. And um, my wife actually came in. She could hear the t- my tone of voice. She wrote on a piece of paper, what are you, who are you talking to? Change your tone of voice. And I got off the phone with him and I realized, wait a minute, he did what others should have done. He did what we're talking about here. He stopped and said, how can I move this situation forward? 
And he picked up the phone and he called somebody and stopped the gossip and went to somebody that could do something about it and clarify it. And he did that. So I had to call and first say, I'm sorry, because you did the right thing in this. And that's what we see that the Grecian believers did. That's the communication side. How about the feedback side? The apostles were the ones, basically, somebody was coming and saying, here's some feedback on your ministry. (laughs) Here's how it's going. What did they do? Well, it's clear they listened. It's clear they heard the need. And then we'll see that they took action. Was that their only option? Could they have responded differently? Oh, I know some ways I would have responded. Um, I'm trying to do all of this stuff and take care of, you know, I could have started being defensive. Or I could have said, listen, we're so busy with the word of God and taking care of our own. Why don't you take care of your own? I could have started blaming. They didn't do any of that. They really, they saw the conflict and we need to see it this way too. They saw this, these growing pains, this potential issue as a way to grow, as a way to, to listen, to look at it, to explore and to grow. And God will often use times like this to grow us closer to him. And the apostles were not scared. It wasn't intimidating to them. They said, hey, bring it on. I'm all about making the message of Christ go to the world. And if I'm prohibiting it in any way, I want to hear about it. And so they saw a valid need. Let's see what they come up with to solve this problem. Verse 3, brothers, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. And we will turn this responsibility over to them. You know, I keep keep hammering this home, but, you know, unity was a big thing. That word brothers, family, uh, having one parent in common. They really were about um, a unified bunch. And there's a call in here for, you may say, well, why seven leaders? It was typical for Jewish communities to invite seven respected men to come in and run the business affairs of a community, to do any kind of work necessary to run the community. So it's probably tradition, the number seven. Um, But the apostles saw that they were the bottleneck. They actually saw a valid need. They saw that they were trying to do too much. They had more work than they could actually do. And they were going to have to be flexible in some things. And one of the things they saw that they needed to be flexible in was their organization. They were the go-to people, and they were doing too much. D.L. Moody, an American evangelist, said, it is better to give 10 men work to do than to do the work of 10 men. And here the apostles were like, that's right. We are over, you know, we have more work than we have manpower. And so they were putting a call in, and they were willing to be flexible in their organization because they knew that their foundation was in something else. And that was in Jesus Christ and spreading that message. That was unchangeable. But as far as the organization and stuff, although leadership and organization is important, you have to be flexible. So many times, and this is true in ministry, this is true in your, your work out in the industry. If you do not address your organization and be flexible to adapt, you're going to either kill your ministry or you're going to kill your product line or your people. (laughs) Um, And so they were willing to be flexible here and stand on the foundation, and they were putting a call in for additional leaders. They knew that growing churches need leaders. And we've seen that. LifePoint's been around for about five years, and they were originally uh, planted over on Six Forks Road. We've seen 
flexibility in organizations since day one. It started out with like three staff people and a lot of outside churches providing oversight and management from like remotely different states and stuff. And then Donnie came on, he moved the, the leadership from, and management from off-site to, to on-site. And he got a leadership team of three men that surrounded him for accountability, for spiritual matters, to identify other spiritual uh, leaders to call in. They actually identified people to do what we call a management team, which are local people doing all different kinds of support work. And eventually it would be elders. But people are doing like pastoral care, finances, facility search, administration, anything in support of the message of Christ. So we, as LifePoint, have seen flexibility. We didn't start out with the great team leaders and volunteers and team members like you guys have here. We have been flexible and have seen that. And it's not just any leader. Notice there, there is some selection criteria in that verse. You know, what is it? If you look real closely, the qualities of the person they want, it's all about character. Character really does count. One, they assume that they're going to carry the same message. That's a given. That message of Christ and sharing that and helping people connect with God, assumed. But then they get in here, and I love looking at the original words because it really gives you an understanding of how important character is in leadership. The, word, uh, the phrase known to be meant evident, direct knowledge of. It means that if you saw the person here or you're a fly on the wall or you could catch them anytime, who they are is who they are. They live this lifestyle of just being sold out for Christ. And then full of, that, that one is really, we're talking about people here. And the original word said a space fully occupied by. Think of a human, we're talking humans, a human fully occupied by. To me that says fully controlled by. And Joel was here talking about obeying. That's what they're getting at here. Fully controlled by obeying what? The Holy Spirit. That we, this, the people being called in here would be obedient to every nook and cranny of who they are and, and seeking God's wisdom in what they were doing. And so they were calling for leaders, leaders with character, and they're calling for seven of them. Let's see what happens, who they choose. Well, this proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, also Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenius, and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. They, were presented these, they presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. And one thing, all these names, you can't tell, all the names in here are Greek. So you may say, yeah, I know how that meeting went down. Grecian believers, Hebrew believers, they turn and go, hey, that's your problem, you do it. Mm-mm, because it says this proposal pleased the whole group. And they were both part of this group. Again, there was continued unity. Now, you won't hear from most of these men for the rest of Acts. Stephen, you will, and Philip, you will. But the rest, you won't. And the, Luke calls out, a, you know, it says, Stephen, a man full of faith, kind of calls him out. And then you read uh, Nicholas from Antioch. And you, you see that. You say, like, why did he call out? That? That's Luke's way of saying, stay tuned. Because something big is going to happen with that person or you know, place. 
So stay tuned. And Donnie's going to come next week and start to share some of that with you. You know, and these men just laid hands. There's no hocus pocus on it. When they put their hands on these seven and just said, we have faith in you. We give you the authority. We entrust you with the caring of, of these widows. And what was the result of all of this? Verse 7, so the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. We ended the way we started. You know, I would have thought there would have been one sentence or so saying, and never again were there any Grecian widows who were, were overlooked. You know, no, the things that they talk about once again, growth in the number of Christ followers. That message is getting out. That's what we see in verse 7. They were still unified, verse 5. And we see that there is still incredible power, verse 8. And I'm thankful that they did focus on that because we would not be here today if they were not sold out in that message where Jesus said, I want you to take my message from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria and to the ends of the earth. They were so focused on that, and they were a growing church, and because of them, we are here, and we are growing. And just from these seven verses, we've got to realize that as we grow, we're going to experience growing pains. Absolutely. That's healthy. If we don't, we ought to start asking some questions. But we will hit, we'll hit some growing pains. How we deal with them will either stunt our growth or help us grow. That's very important. And we've got to stay unified. Unified on our own feelings? Nope. Unified on God's truth, Jesus Christ. That's what we've got to stay unified on. And the growing church needs leaders, needs contributors. I wish I had more time, but 1 Corinthians 12, Romans 12, talks about Christ followers being given gifts, not gifts for themselves, not special powers to do things for yourself, but simply for the care and the shepherding and the growth of the church. And so Peter says, are you using your gift? That's why in overview we say it's okay to be a short-term spectator, but please consider being a long-term participator because the health of this body we call life point depends on all of us using our gifts. And no matter what role you play, remember that character counts. You are a carrier of the message of Christ. And whether you like it or not, people will look at you, no matter how big your role, no matter how small your role, people will watch what you're doing. And may people see Christ when they see you. And I hope it's your prayer as it is our prayer on staff, that like the early church, that we would be a place that desires a rapid growth in the number of Christ followers, those who are being connected with God. That's what we're all about. And that's what we're going to continue to do. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you so much for your word. I thank you for uh, just the early church and how they were sold out on you and just bold and trusting you and leaning on the Holy Spirit to proclaim that message, um, not for themselves, but merely to make sure that the world found out about your son, Jesus Christ, so that they would be connected with him. And I just pray for each of us as we grow in our relationship with you. Give us that boldness as we proclaim your message to those all around us so that they could have a loving relationship with you. It's in your son's name that I pray. Amen.